I guess we can start out with you can introduce yourself to our listeners, who you are, what you do, and all that fun stuff. Uh, I'm Mandy Thomas. I am a full-time firefighter in Northeast Florida, and I also volunteer for um, the BRCC Fund, which is Black Rifles' um, in-house nonprofit. Perfect. Yeah, we've had we've had so many damn people that are involved with Black Rifle on this podcast. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, but it's like an endless endless well of interesting folks, you know? Interesting and genuine. Yeah. Like these these people are the hands and feet of what I think this country is about. So Agreed. they're wonderful people. They really are. And we've had nothing but good people on that have been involved with Black Rifle. We've been re- really lucky to get yeah. to know some of the people. I think it's, just, I think it's a, a collective group because we immediately immediately hit hit it off a lot of people we hadn't met, you know, mm-hmm. at the at the tack, you know, Snowbird, and uh, I think it's just because you get a you get a collective of people who have all struggled or suffered in their own way, so they all have mm-hmm. they're all genuine for one, you know, it's lack of sometimes lack of a filter there, right? But, oh yeah, <laughs> but it separates, but it's that's what separates the people. You know, versus just being the cog in the wheel kind of people, just mm-hmm. your everyday bland person who's kind of disingenuous and kind of just puts on a facade, and you see too much of that anyway. And so it's kind yeah. of you know, yeah. And the thing I love about them is like it's self vetting, really. Like, how do you get involved with Black Rifle? It's like, well, you're either going to be vetted by somebody within it or you're going to vet yourself out mm-hmm. because you know we everybody really is there to help everybody really is there to have just like this loud voice um very off kilter you know zero fucks and yeah you'll you'll weed yourself out i think so it's it's just everybody that's there either working for them or volunteering like myself it's you know we're there to help mm-hmm. and it's yeah so yeah, I like it. Oh, it's really cool. Yeah. So I guess we can start there. How did you get involved with, with them? Well, I volunteered for another organization for several years. Um, it's, it was called, it, it is called Operation Enduring Warrior. And I was on the team of uh, the people that wear the black gas masks and they go around, um, you know, Spartan races. Um, you know, we, we have some people that have climbed mountains, um, and so we invited Tier and Nicole and a group of Black Rifle people to come out to Bernie, Texas, when we did one of the Spartan races to see us in action because, you know, they had done, they had already done the veteran adapt- adaptive archery shoot the year before. And we're like, okay, well, we want them to come and see what we're about, like actually see us in action, what we're doing with these honorees. And I remember Tier saying at dinner that night, he's like, I knew what you guys did but I had no idea what you did until I was actually there with you. So I think because of like, they saw that I'm not in it just to be with black rifle. Like I didn't even ask to be involved with black rifle in any way. It was just this natural forming friendship that on my way to the veteran adaptive shoots um, in April tier called me and he's like, do you want to be on the board? Mm. And I was like, fuck yes I do so that that was it and then it just kind of took off and I'm one of those people where I'm either all in or all out and I feel like I could help reach more people on a bigger scale with Black Rifle like it's just the way my mission is veering um, that I'm solely volunteering with Black Rifle now Mm. that's really cool yeah it was cool like because when we went to TAC we kind of saw how that part of things worked with the BRCC fund and stuff and how it was like a collaborated team effort to get everything done. And we don't even, we had met some of like tier and Nicole, this first time we met them and tier hands us $200 cash to go get beer. It's (laughs) like, he doesn't know us. I remember that. I was right there. I was like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We get cider. We grabbed you cider. Yeah. And like, uh, he doesn't know us. We could have just ran away with 200 bucks and went home. But, yeah. It was it was cool to see that like teamwork happening there and how everybody was just kind of in it to help even people that didn't were affiliated with them. Yeah. And Yeah. The, one of the most wonderful things I think is once you get to an event like that, you see how many how much collaborative effort it takes to run something like that. So like, you know, Josh Smith Knives, Montana Knife Company, like Everly Stock, Kafaru, all of these people 
they have their own businesses and they have to make money. But when it comes to Black Rifle and the fund, Mm -hmm. they're so giving up their time and their effort and, you know, their networking and everything because they they see it happening right in front of them. Like, Mm -hmm. we're going to get shit done. Black Rifle is getting shit done. And a lot of it's behind the scenes. So when you're actually there in the moment, you know, like, this is the real deal. And people want to be involved with that. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing I think we've talked about on here before. Everybody does want to be involved with Black, Black Rifle. And like Kevin and I showing up to TAC, we, we had planned with some of the people from, from Black Rifle to talk to him, but we didn't want people to think like, oh, we're here to get something from you. And right. we were trying, like when, the first day we got there, we went to the tent and we didn't know anybody in the tent. And we're like, uh, we're just going to go walk around because we don't want to like impose on anybody. But then the day we recorded a podcast with everybody, Everybody was so welcoming, and we went right yeah. in. We hung out in there like all day. Yeah, and they were all really, really good people. Yeah, and you made a good point. It's you know I've already had, gosh, over twenty people be like, "How do you get involved?" Mm-hmm. And I'm so protective of it because I I have been a part of really shitty nonprofits. I've been a part of nonprofits that don't walk the walk. Um, they talk a good talk, but they don't walk it. And so I what I have encouraged people to do is go volunteer somewhere else and show them like your, your heart is in it. Like you're in it for the right reasons and you'll be noticed. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't start volunteering with OEW because I wanted to be noticed. Like I needed to serve. Mm -hmm. I wanted to serve people. It's just, you know, I was prior service military. I serve in my community. I, you know, a lot of us are hurting because of suicide and this nasty shit that we see. And it was noticed, not because I'm trying to be a fucking spotlight ranger, but because I really want to help people. So my advice to people that want to be involved with Black Rifle is, for one, don't ask for names because you're definitely not going to get it from (laughs) me. But, you know, if you're doing the right thing for the right reasons, you will be noticed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a big thing, too, is there is there is a dichotomy there in people that say that they want to help, right? There's the, mm-hmm. I'm going to just blanket statement this. You can edit it out for being, me being an asshole, but there's your, <laughs> there's your guys that are like 44 years old that have fucking boats and shit, and they want to go virtue signal and say they're helping, but really it's, you know, they're on the other spectrum when it comes to, um, you know, altruism. Like, there's no real thing such thing as altruism. You get something out of it, whether it's for yourself or whether it's financially, but usually for them, I feel like it is more financial. What can I get from somebody else by doing this? What can I get from this? And I think that's bullshit. You know, like it should be the pillars from people seeking meaning and purpose. And the three things are suffering. We find purpose in suffering. We find purpose in uh, um, love and we find purpose in serving others. That's why the military, yeah. you have a purpose. That's why, you know, and I and I had to re-realize that while I was in school. I was like, what the fuck? I get, why am I going through this again, you know? And when I became part of the research club for the, the astrophysics club, it, you donate your time on Fridays to go, like, help people out. Like, you pull out the Mead telescopes. You get just random, like, you know, civilians coming in there and civilians, geez, patrons coming in there. <laughs> and, uh, civilians. Civilians, you know. And <laughs> Those dirty civilians. Right. And you're showing them like Cygnus A, different stars and what kind of star it is and they're learning a lot and you're showing them the observatory and talking to them about, you know, how the observatory was made and it was and um, and everything else. And it's, you find they really have an interest in it when you're passionate about it because I am. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck, I love this and being a little older too, I can be a little bit more professional with people when they're coming through doing that, you know. Um, and so like, for some people, I would say it's really because they found a passion. And so mm-hmm. they don't, you don't have to fucking, you don't have to fake it till you make it. It's because it's, you really love this, mm-hmm. you know? And so yeah. that, like you're saying, that hits home with veterans because I really give a shit about veterans and I'm tired of seeing veterans be so polarized from each other, you know, when really it's just yeah. because they need help. They're just suffering in some way because you see it in yourself. Well, it's also because you've, Right. You've been in that point where you were suffering and you needed help and you sometimes still need help. Right. So and, you, you know. And with me, I, I, I self-studied and was introspective enough to figure out what are the causes and what happens. There's this definite road, right? And not everyone maybe is cognitively well off enough to understand, right? What symptoms are from what, you know, your right. body, your body holding on to the fear, your body holding on to the anger, 
be through experiences and memories, right? And yeah, and you can get stuck playing those out over and over again, or you can realize this is exactly what this is from. I need to go fucking attack this. I need to be present in this. In other words, like the feeling, like don't drink it out, don't take any pills, just suffer a little bit and process. Just it, sit in it, you know. And then now you can go to somebody else and be like, get the fuck, like take a day off work. You're coming to hang out with me. We're gonna work out. We're gonna fucking talk it out. We're gonna sweat it out. Whatever it is. But yep. you're, you're going to go through it. You have to go through it, you know? Yeah, that's the most uncomfortable part, though, is sitting with yourself, just being still for a second and say, okay, what do I really need? Like, I've got this shit going on. What do I need? And a lot of people don't want to do that. They want to preoccupy their time and pretty much ignore it. And that's why people don't heal. But when you have those people that can be introspective like you were, and say, okay, I realize I am in a really dark fucking place. Like I've had those thoughts, you know, many a times. It wasn't until I was forced to sit with myself and say, okay, how can I not fucking feel this way anymore? And it was really uncomfortable. And it took me months, months to be okay with that. And then now I feel like I'm, I'm free. Hmm. Like there is there it would have to be a catastrophe to get me in that spot again because i have the tools because i was forced to do it on my own and going back to like the people that have like you know this they're doing the serving or they say they're helping veterans it's because it's it's fucking sexy to say that you're helping veterans and you're helping first responders and you're helping you know our our brothers and sisters in blue and it is very few and far between to find those people that really want to help and not just get like, oh, you know, this person's helping yep. just the spotlight for it. And I fucking hate that people that get off with just the just the popularity, I guess, of saying you help veterans. But do you really mm -hmm. like like so? Yeah, that and those people weed themselves really easily because, you know, within this community, as you guys know, like you'll figure out people talk in this community and it's mm -hmm. like, okay, well that's not fucking real or this person's really not helping. They're, you know, they're just getting off on really people suffering and yeah. fuck you for that. Yeah. yeah they're virtue signaling just to, yeah, they don't want to put in the effort because yeah. they don't know how. And that's okay. If it's, it's okay as long as they can admit that like, Hey, you don't have the tools to help somebody in this position. So don't worry about it. Go mm -hmm. help your yeah. kids. Go help your kids or something else. Go, be go, help, yourself. go help yourself. <laughs> go help yourself. You know yeah. that, man. Yeah. There's something inside that's saying, like, I'm doing a good deed or, like, I'm going to get popularity. Like, that's one of the things that I absolutely despise about social media is everybody wants to be the next up and coming or they want to be, like, the next person to help this person. Like, delete your social media and go work on yourself mm -hmm. and then, like, get involved with an organization that's really doing the work start small and then maybe it'll inspire you to go back and do it the right way. Mm -hmm. But yeah. don't just, yeah, the virtue signaling, signaling man. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That, that's that old saying about fixing your own house before you step out and try to build somebody else's house. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and I think people don't really understand what that, the nuances of that, like really work on you as a whole, your dynamics, your, your actual family. And if you can be a leader within your own family, then you can step out and help another person. You know, because right. then you have the tools. You can't just be a fucking asshole and a drunk and neglect your children and then go say, I'm going to go help somebody else. Like, no, yeah. that doesn't work. That does not work, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think people just need that attention. And, and really, like, you know, I'm nobody really within Black Rifle. I just, you know, they need some help. I'm going to help them. And I love archery. I love, you know, hunting. I'm getting into that more and more. Um. I'm not in the forefront and, and that's not why I'm in it. Mm -hmm. Like you need some help. Tell me where to go. Like, yeah. I don't want to be the one in charge. Like that's why I'm not an officer in the fire department. I like, you need that door kicked in. I'm going to go get it. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't want to be the one in charge. I just want to work. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have that issue is they like, they want to get credit for it. And that's the problem is yeah. if you really want to help. You should be okay with doing anything. Like, going and getting beer for people that are about to like go crazy. Cause you know, we just need to let <laughs> off, you know? Yeah. Well, and so. I, I think like, like pretty much what you're saying, you just want to be involved with those good people, you know, and mm -hmm. you're, you're helping. And that was kind of similar with us. We, we've met, like we were just saying so many people from there that are good people. It's like, we just want to be involved with you. I don't care what, if it's going and getting beer, 
we'll go get beer. If it's sitting down and having you on our podcast, let's fucking do it. Because yeah. being, I mean, that's like, you know, a known thing. If you're around good people, it's going to make you a better person. And if you're around. Absolutely. And it's intoxicating. Yeah. Like being around those people. Luckily, I was with them for like three weeks. So I went from Big Sky to Park City and then to Snowbird. It's like I was on a high the entire time because it's just good people doing good work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why I understand the desire to like want to be involved. But, you know, just there's a vetting process and it's going to happen. So just, you know, my advice to anybody is it doesn't matter what company or organization you get involved with. Like, just do something. Mm -hmm. Just do anything. Yeah. And just try to be a good person <laughs> yeah that's yeah uh, that's all you like, can do fucking kind yeah. like how hard is that yeah. that that is my has been my thing since i got out of you know the situation i was in that that almost fucking destroyed me is you know my one deal breaker for friends co-workers you know a potential relationship is if you're not kind mm -hmm. i got nothing for you yeah yeah same same yeah there's yeah. a there's a yeah there's a place for all that and it's in the 1960s man like we, <laughs> yes we, we talked about this yesterday like actually i probably said in the podcast before like the mercury astronauts weren't great people they were narcissists but you needed them right you needed crazy yep. self-absorbed egocentrics to get on a fucking rocket and get launched into space but they didn't really <laughs> but they didn't they weren't worried about leaving their families behind like that wasn't their in their really vision right and yep. that's okay for them it fucked their kids up because now the kids will never be good enough they never got the attention or the love you know but yeah you need guys like that but this is the 1960s and they don't have to be in relationships you know what i mean they can go be alone and do their but i was just thing. gonna say those those assholes they can go hang out with each other yeah like i'd rather be a good person hanging out with good people and like you said oh, ki yeah. kindness there and there's a lot of a lot of good fucking people out there in this world and I think with things like the internet, it gives a loud voice to people that aren't so good and they are assholes, but I think there's more good people than there are bad people out there. Yeah, really but you do. have to search them out. Yeah. Like you intentionally have to search those people out because, you know, social media can be so terrible and it, it's just like this rat race, right? Like you said, those astronauts, they were in a race to space. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's just just fucking be kind. And there's a difference between being nice. Anybody could be nice. Yeah. You really got to be kind. Mm -hmm. And my kindness radar is off the charts now. <laughs> and I had to go through this shit to get it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm in a, a really, really good place with some really good people. Mm -hmm. So. Well, you, you have to deal with like shitheads to find the good people. It's. Absolutely. Because then, then you can call out the people that are being shitty real quick. And that's part of life you know you get you have to do hard things to mm -hmm. to feel better about yourself and part of that includes being around assholes <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah you got to edit your life constantly and that's yeah. okay yeah and every now and then like sometimes you need an asshole around you but not for long you know what yeah. I'm saying? yeah they'll serve a purpose yeah <laughs> yeah so, so were you uh you said you're in the military what branch were you in when did you join and why I was in the army. Um, I am from a really small town called Tularosa, New Mexico. And I had absolutely no ambition. I had no drive. It was just, you know, my dad was in the air force. He retired in 2001. And, uh, I just realized like I took, um, astronomy and realized like, I can't pay for this. And second of all, like, I just have no drive. Um, so I just decided to go in the army cause it was either stay in my hometown and be nobody or completely change my life around and, and go do something in the military. So I ended up going to basic training in 2003. I joined as an interrogator and a linguist and, um, it completely changed my life. Like I remember sitting, so, you know, I went to Fort Leonard Wood and we went with like guys and girls. But they, when we were doing like the death by PowerPoint, um, they would, you know, for the girls, like hygiene shit, they would put us in a room with just girls. And I remember it was the first time I felt like I'm on my own. Like I don't have mommy and daddy. Like I don't have my friends. Like I am alone. And it was the first time, like I had tears streaming down my face because I truly felt alone. 
And once I had that good cry, I was done. I was like, I am on my own, you know, and just (laughs) twisted it. And I had so much fun. Like, it's crazy that people see me as such an athlete now because I couldn't do three legit pushups going into basic training. And my goal always, like, I always find myself in a male dominant community. Even though I don't try, I can't stop myself from doing it. And so I tried to fly under the radar in basic training never fucking happened. So I was always getting like punished and called out. And um, I came out of basic training, um, maxing the PT test. Like I can do pushups for days, like give me something harder. Yeah. So um, I really, I really enjoyed my time in basic. Um, and then I went to interrogation school in Fort Huachuca. Um, and then I went to language school in Monterey, California, where I learned Russian. So eight hours a day, five days a week for an entire year. Um, super stressful school. Uh, so fact, I actually quit smoking in school because it was the only thing that I could control. Like I can't <laughs> control like how stressful the school is or getting up and doing PT and then going to language, um, you know, for eight hours, but I can control the fact that I don't want to smoke. So I'm not smoking and I quit smoking. (laughs) That's how stressful the school was. And then after that, I went to airborne school and then to my regular unit in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Nice. How, How long were you in? I was in just a little over three years. So I was actually deployed in Bagram when I found out I was pregnant with my first daughter. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was right at the height of malaria season. So this was March of 2006. Um, I couldn't stop taking the pills. Um, I took two pregnancy tests before I deployed, not pregnant, got in country. I was feeling sick and I was like, okay, maybe I'm just acclimating. Um, I went and got a pregnancy test at the PX that ended up being expired and said I was pregnant. And I was like, there is no fucking way. (laughs) So they made me go to the clinic and get an actual blood test. And I was like, look, I have wanted to deploy. Like I actually jumped my chain of commands because I was in a headquarters unit of a PSYOP battalion, like just grinding my gears. And I was like, look, I think I'm in the wrong unit. Like I belong with the interrogators that are deploying. You know, we had the 525 MI battalion there, but they put me in a headquarters unit with PSYOP, which is like I, I pretty much was in COVID, like COVID jail the mm-hmm. whole time there because I wasn't doing my job. So I went to my um, my group command sergeant major and was like, "Look, I don't belong here." And he was like, "Yeah, this this isn't how we do this." So he plucked me from the S two shop of the headquarters and put me in the group headquarters where I did twenty four hour CQ rotations as a punishment. <laughs> for jump, jumping my chain of command. And thank God that happened because then JSOC picked me up and they're like, we need interrogators in Afghanistan. And I was like, fucking, I volunteer. Hmm. Got in country for like a month and they're like, yeah, you're pregnant. <laughs> so off you go. And I, I was so unhappy in my unit. The second I got home, I met with a JAG officer, typed up my own paperwork to get out of the army and raised my two daughters for 12 years. And I was, I mean, I was a stay at home mom for 12 years. I became a personal trainer when my oldest was one. And so I did that part time and yeah, I was a sole, pretty much a sole provider while my now ex-husband became a fireman. Hmm. And then when did, well, my mic just got really loud. Hang on. Oh, that's, because I turned it the wrong direction. Anyways, so <laughs> when did you, like when and how did you decide that you wanted to be a firefighter? How did that come about? I um, I was not in a good space. I, um, I just kind of lost myself in being a mom. You know, I was like at that point in my husband's shadows, which was where I wasn't used to being. Uh, I was a damn good mom. I still am. But I just didn't have that sense of service and like badassery. So we went to um, one of my ex-husbands, like an award ceremony for his department. And I know some pretty badass chicks in that department. And they gave out several awards. I mean, probably upwards of like 50 awards. And not a single female got an award, which sounds kind of sexist. And I'm not like I'm in a, you know, you do your job well, you'll be recognized kind of person. But it just pissed me off because I know some amazing women. 
And it pissed me off so bad. I just had this chip on my shoulder that day. I think that three days later, I signed up for fire school and I was in fire school six months later. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's cool, though. I mean, yeah, that, inter- that, that competition, like, yeah, no, it's, it's like, fuck you, I'll show you. You know what I mean? Like, in a positive way, like, yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's the, that's the, I guess that's the whole point of basic training, right? Like yep. 14 weeks of getting someone who think, fuck you, I'll show you and turn your reaction from fear into immediately into hate, right? That's basically yep. it. You know, like, yeah, f- <laughs> suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Fear into hate. And then it's hard. It's hard to get out of that, especially when you really ingrain those feelings, you ingrain them through, you know, firefights and everything else. And then now you're, you're out and then you're like, wait, who am I telling the fuck off now? Like, where am I, where am I putting all this hate? You know, like you have to rewire yeah. your hate back into acceptance and everything else. Right. Like that whole long story, but you still have to have a bit of that drive. Right. It's a, uh, who was it that said, uh, fuck those Jordan Peterson. He's like, you have to be an absolute fucking monster, but you don't have to know yep. how to control it. Exactly. You know? And just, you know, just like general Mattis had said, you know, uh, have a plan to kill everybody you meet, you know, but be a gentleman. Right. Like, yeah, that's a reoccurring theme. Native Americans had your own theme for that too. You know, love your community, love your tribe, but you need to be able to be a fucking animal and mm-hmm. be competitive, yep. you know, and be dangerous, be dangerous. Yeah. And so that's cool that you had that drive just to push in still like, like, no, I'm a badass mom. I can still be a badass in other ways too. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be awesome. That's cool. Yeah. And I didn't like, I was in, you know, I, in Bagram, I was behind the scenes doing my job interrogation. I wasn't on the front lines. Like I didn't get any firefights. So it wasn't that it was just constantly pushing myself. Like I'm one of those people where like, I will seek hardship because like overcoming that and in the middle of it, like that's where I feel the most powerful. And with my kids, like, yeah, I felt that with my, my daughter who has autism. Cause I had to fight for everything that she has, mm-hmm. like just for her to get a, a single sense of normalcy within the edu- in her education. Like I had to fight tooth and nail just to get her to, to learn the way everybody else gets to learn just in her way. And I didn't have that anymore. And so I, I was just spinning my wheels. I was lost. I, I had no sense of purpose whatsoever. And uh, if you have, if you don't have any purpose, as far as I'm concerned, personally, you don't have anything. And mm-hmm. so I, I was, I was seeking, you know, that suffering. I, I love to suffer as strange yeah. as that sounds. Um, as long as it's like, I get to decide what kind of suffering that is. Right. Um, and so that's, that's why I signed up. And I got to tell you, man, like the timing was horrible because I went to fire school in June in Florida where it's a hundred degrees <laughs> And it was the hardest fucking school I've ever been to. I mean, we started with 18 people. I was the only chick and we only graduated six. We lost two because they were really uncomfortable in their masks, uh, which I understand it's, you know, very claustrophobic. We lost two people for um, administrative purposes. Like they couldn't pass um, tests and then everybody else was heat casualties. So it was so fucking hot. And I remember like the last month of school where we were in our gear eight hours a day, just like praying for death, that I would go, I would eat my lunch as fast as I could. And I would go in the girls locker room and I would turn the showers to cold and I would lay on the bathroom floor mm. for like 30 minutes. And that's the only way I got through. I mean that and like I had a lot of people that wanted to see me fail. So that was like feeding me. Like yeah, I yeah. fucking thrive on that mother. Like tell me I can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, weather's that extra element that you can't control. So yeah, that was it. And now it's just, it's just taken off. And so having been a veteran myself and a firefighter wife, and now a, a firefighter and serving within all of these communities I see the sense of service to be most important right now because I see nasty shit all the time. And I explain, like I explain this to people and some people understand, like I'm not going to compare what firefighters do to service members over there that saw a bunch of shit, totally different fight. Right. But the fight that we have as first responders, police, 911 dispatchers and, and firefighters is, we work in the same 
zone every single shift. So our fight, the nasty shit that we see, we get to relive that every fucking day. Like I remember the day after 4th of July this year, I saw one of the nastiest things I've ever seen in my life. A, a guy was on a backhoe on the side of the road and this guy in a milk truck blew through a red light because he was sleepy. He fell asleep at the wheel middle of the day, rear-ended this guy, launched him out, and then the backhoe rolled over him, crushed him instantly. Mm-hmm. And he had a traumatic amputation. And um, I remember doing CPR on him, looking at the artery in his arm that had been torn off. There was no, it was white. There was no blood coming out. Like all of it rushed to his belly because that's where his crush injury was. And then I remember our chief showing up on scene and he's like, Mandy, I need you to put a tourniquet on his arm. Knowing damn well, like this guy didn't need a tourniquet, nor did he need CPR. Like he was gone. But yes, sir. So I went to go just grab his numb his nub and part of his arm was still attached and I had to rip his arm off with my own hands to put this tourniquet on. And that didn't bother me. It was like when the adrenaline wore off and that's less than a half a mile from my station. So I get to see it every time I come to work Mm -hmm. and every time I leave, you know, and then the first pediatric um, cardiac arrest I ever worked was on an eight year old autistic girl. Mm. That that hits, that hits home for you for sure. It was terrible because I'm really good at disassociating. Like I've seen enough nasty stuff now that I'm just like, I don't want to know your family. I don't want to like, I'm sorry, I'm here to save you. That's all I'm worried about. Like Mm -hmm. to me, you are a body that I'm trying to save. You're not a, you know, you're not somebody that I want to relate to and doing. So we have these devices at our department that are like suction cups. So when you're doing CPR and you push down and then you pull up, you're actually like pulling blood away from the heart and then you're pushing blood back down. So you're just getting like this good, you're getting more blood flow to Mm -hmm. the heart. We can't do that with children. So it was the first time I've ever done compression with my hands on this little eight-year-old girl and her eyes were closed and she, she had a horrible health history anyway. So, you know, the, the chances of her surviving weren't good. But I, for whatever reason, I remember looking at her eyelashes when her eyes was, were closed and then like the shape of her nose and her little mouth. And in the back of my mind, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? But I couldn't catch myself quick enough. And so I am just like, just seeing her as this eight-year-old little girl, like I would my own daughter. Like I was pretty much doing compressions on my daughter. Mm. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. Like, I'll. I'll never forget it. And the chief at that time knew exactly what I was going through because he was on scene. He was at her head, you know, just making the scene super calm. And then when we left the hospital, the chief was like, he's one of my favorite chiefs. He's like, is everybody okay? Because I'm not okay. Mm. I'm not okay. And I didn't say a word. I just wanted to get in my truck and go back to the station. And he yells my name. And I turn around and I just fucking lost it like right there, right outside the hospital. And he came over and he gave me a hug and he's like, look, you guys go back to your station. You take a shower. You let me know when you're ready to go back in service. And if you need to go home, go home. Well, I don't want to go home. Like I, like I want to be with my crew. I just needed a second. And, and that compassion that he showed right there, I think was what made me begin to heal at that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, I guess that's a long way of saying, like, the reason why this shit compounds is because it's layered and layered and layered. Like, we went right back to running calls. If a fire came out, we're on that fire. And then we're, we're in that deployment constantly. We don't get away from it. We're, we, I see the spot where that dude got fucking, you know, ran over by his own backloader. I, I know the exact restaurant where that dad had to pull over because her eight-year-old you know, his eight year old little girl went into cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's just, it's constantly spinning. So I consider myself very lucky to have the platform that I have now because I want to talk about this shit. Like everybody's suffering, everybody's fucking suffering. And not a lot of people, like everybody expects me to talk about it because I'm a chick. I'll own it. Like I will run with it, but I'm going to use it to my advantage. We got to talk about it. Yeah. You, you, you're absolutely right. And it goes back to getting away from post-Civil War 
you know, um, ideologies that we went into, you know, with suppressing things and boozing to the point we had the prohibition because booze was getting out of control. Not enough men were mm-hmm. working, you know, and we weren't in this type of society to talk about it anymore. We lost, right. we lost what it meant to be really be human. And sometimes you find it organically. Sometimes you really need a lot of help to get there. And you're right. Like you just the act of, just the act of being around the guys you work with is a big help. You need your little try, yep. your, your try, however big it is to talk about it and be comfortable with doing it. You know, absolutely. Like, yeah. Well, and also like, you're talking about your chief, like that's what a leader is right there. Yeah, the absolutely. fact that he was vulnerable enough with you guys to say he wasn't okay. Cause there's, you know, you have that masculine energy of people like, Oh, I'm, I'm fucking fine. I don't, and I'm especially not gonna let any of them know I'm not fine. But I think a true masculine person is going to say, like, hey, I'm not okay. How are you guys doing? That sounds like a really good leader you had there. Exactly. A masculine person. And I mean, not necessarily masculine. I mean, just like a, maybe masculine is the wrong word because a a woman could do the same thing. A masculine or leader type person in the moment isn't thinking about the emotions. They're thinking about getting everybody else through it first. But then when do they get taken care of? You know, when do they get someone to talk to because we we all have been aware of it's, you know the police, firefighters, EMTs, military. If you try to not ever address it, you just become an alcoholic. Then you lose yourself. You become that shitty person, you know. And, and I try to think of little nuances within my deployment sometimes too. It was like like Mario. Mario Cook was a good one. He ended up dying, or like Adamson and stuff. Like or when Cook died, and he like RPA knew that me and Adams were good friends with him. So he was like, go fucking see him. You know, we, after we put him in the body bag, they go see him one more time. Like just you and two, you two, you know, and the top part of his head's gone. But it was a fact that I had a friend there to do it. Same thing with, even with yeah. Rod, you mean Rod are good friends. And as long as you get to see him one more time and you have someone right there, at least one of the person who's like, it's okay. It's okay to feel something. It's okay to talk to me about it. That's a, that's a huge monumental step between, yeah, you fucking died. Let's not talk about this. And then 10 years later, you're like, why do I feel sad about thinking about stuff like this? Or what do yeah. I, why do I feel shitty about driving down that block next to the fire station? You know, cause I haven't really opened up, you know? And that goes back to native Americans. Like you come out of a battle and you fucking talk it out. They go sweat it out in the tent, take ayahuasca yep. and they fucking cry together. Mm-hmm. Why don't we do that? Because that's fucking gay, bro. Like, <laughs> you're, you're gonna cry because you're a fag, you know? Like, what the fuck? Like, if they were doing it, you know, what's wrong? Yeah, I don't know. I think, so I think some people deal with it that way. Like, it's, it's a feminine thing to have emotion. The other thing I have realized is we are so set on protecting our brothers and sisters that we don't want to add something else so it's not just like you can't have emotion or that's your 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 fucking pussy if you can't handle this it's you know my thing for example is i know so many other people are struggling like i don't want to ask them hey can you carry this for me too right you know so it's not it's not just that there is the thing like we are so busy hiding our shit because we don't want for one, the people see our weakness because we're natural helpers, veterans, firefighters, you know, police officers, and we're going to want to help somebody that we see as hurting. So we're trying not to let them see us hurt. And I think that's another thing that needs to be talked about is, so when my chief did that for me, he earned my trust for the rest of my life. Mm. If he were to say, follow me into that burning building, and I know there is like a 1% chance of us surviving, he has already earned that trust. I'm going to go in with him because he's le- he led me there. That that is a true leader. Is somebody that realizes these people don't work for me. I work for them. I'm here yeah. to protect them. I I I don't see that a lot mm-hmm. as a, as leaders. I will follow that man to the edge of the earth because he did that for me, and that. You know, it wasn't like this big grand scheme and like not a lot of people got involved. He just knew at that moment, like she 
needs to know that I'm also not okay. Mm-hmm. And so if I have to be that person while using my platform where people know like that I wasn't okay for a long time. I mean, we're talking a long fucking time. Like I had horrible thoughts for over a year. And the thing that kept me going was service, mm-hmm. purpose, hope. Um, and so that's the, that's the other thing. It's not just, you know, that we're pussified because we, you know, we have these emotions. It's we don't want our brothers and sisters to carry one more thing because their yeah. load is already so heavy. Mm-hmm. Well, I I, I want to clarify, like when I was saying the masculine thing, I, that was the wrong word for sure. I, I think lead- I knew what you meant. Yeah, though, I think. Go yeah. Ahead, yeah, I think leadership is the word I was looking for because there could be a female that's a fucking good leader too. Um, but no, like I think what you're saying now, having a purpose and having things to look forward to keeps people going and Mm -hmm. that's an important thing to have it's and not everybody has it you know and people can find a purpose but that's easier said than done sometimes yeah yeah that's it takes a lot of introspection and perspective you can't just you know work one job for 10 years and have perspective you have to like hey let's Let's be a CEO of a accounting company and then go to manual labor for a year. Just switch it completely. Your whole perspective, yeah. all your bullshit you talked about, everybody else changes because now you're completely in a different zone. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and and it's easy to think that way because we've gotten away from, you know, the the mindset we had ten thousand years ago. We had to be a jack of all trades. It does not pay to be a jack of all trades now. It pays to be over specialized and know nothing about anything else. That's what pays. So, and all of a sudden you see uh, fits of psychosis go up. Mental health care has had to gone up because people can't cope. They can't do other things. As soon as they're outside of their wheelhouse, they're, they can't handle vulnerability. Um, and, and by the way, like I'll mention this for like the 47th time on the podcast, that book written in 1947, Man's Search for Meeting, talks all about this. Like Victor Frankl predicted Victor all Frankel? this. Yeah. I read that. Good. And it's good. And you predicted, predicted all this shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. It gives me chills to think about that. Cause I remember him saying like his thing was survival, but it wasn't just like he mentally knew I am going to make it out of here. I'm going to have to skew my thinking a little bit, but I can survive this and other people can survive this. And I, I can't recommend that book enough. I seriously have goosebumps all over my body because if anybody deserves to come back and be jaded, it's that man. Yeah. But he didn't. He had so much love coming out of there and so much compassion and so much hope. You're, you're just like, that, that's what gets people through is he could have completely written off humanity. And he decided not to. He made the, the decision not to. But, you know, yeah, that, that guy went through some shit. Yeah. I highly recommend that book. Yeah, Kevin's mentioned that book a few times on here. It, it helped me few, few, quite a few years ago, you know, because I don't know, because I've even read a lot of psychology from like around 1910. And, you know, before we got into social media and everything else, before a lot of things were washed and replayed, but and through a different lens, because people try to get their PhDs wherever else by almost restating the same shit through different lands and everything else. So if you go back to some more of the foundational psychology and and psychiatry, it's like, it's easier to just, it makes more sense sometimes, you know? And that was just a good one for for all of that. And and there's more. I mean, there was required reading before I went to sniper school was a sniper on the Eastern Front. Um, So Sepp Allerberger's count, he's a German sniper. That's why a lot of people don't like it because he's a German sniper, but the story is what makes that good. Like the whole part of that was humility from my company commander. You know, he was like, anytime you think you're a badass cause you're going to go fucking shoot people in the face, you're not. So before you go, you have to read this book, you know? And, and it was a horrible experience this guy went through. I mean, from seeing his spotters getting shot in the face and having to sit next to him, other tongues hanging out of their head, you know, to yeah. having to get in the trenches and beat the guys to death with the, with a fucking buttstock of his rifle. Like, he went through all of it, you know, he was shelled, you know, and, um, so it's like, I can feel sorry for myself for what I've been through or perspective. Like I didn't go with, he went through, 
he survived and came out and was a still gave back in some way, right? Physically, yeah. mentally. So we can all do it if we don't have that victim mentality of, oh, poor me, man, I got in a car wreck once and I just, I just can't do it. Like everything has to be about me all the time. Like this sucks. Like, no, people had it way fucking worse. You know what I mean? And people still have it worse. People still have it worse. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we live in America, you know, take a trip down to Africa and see how people are living down there with genocides that have been happening on and off for fucking ever, you know, and like we have it pretty cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I don't think we know true hardship because, you know, we want food. We can go to the grocery store. If we want entertainment, pick an out, you know, pick something. You got your phone, you got your TV, you got your computer. And it's just like, I, I think nature is extremely healing. And so a lot of the times where people find like that reconnection is getting out into nature. Whereas social media has just given us like, for one, people don't get smacked in the mouth enough for saying the shit that they get to say on social media. And I think that's like, that's a problem. Um, but just being out in nature and just like, just taking things slow, like mm -hmm. everything is so fast. I want yeah. food. I'm going to go to the drive through and get it. Like, we don't have enough hardship. And that's why I think the natives really knew, like, you know, Sebastian Younger talked about the tribe all the time. And it was because yep. we, it was survival. Like we needed that to take care of each other. And like, you know, this woman's child was every woman's child. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because like, they really understood what that community mentality was. Whereas here it's kind of like every man for himself, not, not in every community, but, I mean, people really just need to go back to the basics, like strip everything else away. And, and that really is just, it's, it's just going to make you a better human. Mm -hmm. So do we know real hardship? Not really. Right. Well, and like, I also don't want to like discount people that do have hardship that live in America too. I mean, there's people like that live it on a dirt road in a trailer that have no money and they're around drugs all the time or people that live in like in the projects and stuff. I mean, yeah, that's hard shit right. too. But I think like I heard, I don't remember who, who I heard say this, but the hardest thing you've ever gone through is the hardest thing you've ever gone through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, you got to, there's a perspective there, but you, like you said, Africa or what's going on in Afghanistan or third world countries all over this world. Yeah. That's that what we're going through here is nothing compared right. to that. Yeah. Let me, let me reiterate that. So yes, that perspective, there are people that truly have hardships. Let me just spin it in a way that people that can get themselves out mm -hmm. of their own shit that choose yeah. not to, those are not hardships. Uh, 100%. Like, you can't help your situation, <laughs> but if you can truly help yourself, you're just choosing not to because there's so many things out there. That's the thing is like there's so many things out there to help everybody. It's like it almost, it almost doesn't allow us to help ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it, it all starts with the self. Like for one, you got to figure out what the fuck you need yeah. to help yourself before you really should go asking anybody for help. Mm -hmm. Well, and we've, yeah. we've talked so, about that on here a few times where like everybody knows somebody who's in a rough spot, but they're always in that rough spot and they never try to get themselves out of it. And they, because correct. And it, they miss so many opportunities yeah. to get themselves out of it because they're addicted to being the victim. Yeah. You know, and they, it's almost like they crave True, that, yeah. but they're also, they'll usually also, that person also usually falls into that vulgar aesthetic category, you know, from, uh, um, Kierkegaard, right. His divine command and then the, the vulgar aesthetic, right. They never do anything that's real. So how can they really suffer? The vulgar aesthetics really worried about having a photographer drive out with them to, you know, Moab, take some pictures and address and then get back in a truck and go home. Right. The vulgar aesthetic goes into a serious relationship just to get the win, just to say, just they're just good enough to get the person to say, I love you. And then they're fucking checked out. Right. They don't like the idea of real connections and real things. Mm -hmm. They chase the facade of that. Right. So when they have real hardship happen, well, since you've never experienced anything real, you're not prepared for this. Um, and how can that person raise a child? Cause it happens every day and they're not right. there for them. And they discount what the children are feeling, which is another big fucking topic. Sorry. I'm going to just go off here real quick. <laughs> just like one minute, but that's another <laughs> thing with like childering that bothers me with some people. And I don't want to conflate my views on everybody, but if you have a 16 year old girl who's like in love with a boy, you don't say like, this doesn't mean anything like, get over it. You'll be fine. Like fuck off. And then discontinue discount them. 
like the 16 year old who thinks they're in love, that's what they know to be love, mm-hmm. right? That's what any emotions they're having. That's what they know to those emotions to be because they haven't had time to grow and experience other things mm-hmm. yet. And mm-hmm. so as adults, we have to remember like, don't discount younger people are feeling because they don't know another meaning of that, whether mm-hmm. it's fear, even if it, we say that's, oh man, it's not a real fear. It is to them. It's a yeah. real thing to them. Yeah. Well, it's like I said, the hardest thing you've been through is the hardest thing you've been through. Like, that's why, you, that's yeah. why I wanted yeah. to bring it up. Cause you said that I was like, it's very true. And we yeah. can't discount what, you know, all that because of our take on, you know, well, and being, adults. being parents, like all three of us are You're right. Like, I think that's something that as a parent, you have to understand when your child is going through something like, that's that is a big fucking deal to them right now and i you got to think back when you were a kid when something was a big deal to you it was a big deal yeah you know and it might not be to somebody who's older but and that goes for youtube and tv too don't forget that a child when they're watching 30 minutes of youtube is the equivalent of me doing like a double shot espresso from black rifle coffee um (laughs) so it's like (laughs) like that's it's way more effect affecting their brain more than we you know are considering as well like i don't know we've talked about that though too before like when you go back to the youtube thing i've said this to you like people make a huge deal out of their kids watching youtube but when we were kids we'd watch cartoons every saturday that is their cartoons now it's just you need to just like my parents probably well my parents probably didn't limit me and they should have but you need to limit it a little bit but you have to let them enjoy things and i I didn't have cable so i watched like matlock and shit (laughs) so when i stayed when i stayed home from school sick i was like matlock and shit i was like the little house in the prairie the price is right yeah oh my god (laughs) price is right like so it wasn't fun for me to stay home like no uh speaking of kids actually this is our second episode now where we've had kids in the background but last time it was on our end and i think it's cool because it shows fucking real life first of all and like it's also nice to see a parent such as yourself self be patient like your your kid was in the background and you didn't like oh my god get the fuck out of here yeah, like, you're like you're like hey can yeah. you can you go you know and that's that's awesome because like last last week when we recorded with zach we had kids in the background and i'm sitting over here like muting microphones between yells yeah like Gr- grayson was like grayson come here like his pants off he'd be like i gotta go get something like no you don't like, he's like where's your sister? I, have a, I have a question i have a question vivian get your brother like <laughs> but that's real life you know yeah yeah it is but, yeah and i have fantastic kids and she's she's wonderful she's stuck in covid jail with me because mm-hmm. she was here when I got, when I pop positive. Um, so I just got to think like this sucks for me mm. being in quarantine. Like I couldn't imagine it as a 12 year old special needs girl, yeah. you know, like I'm going crazy and I'm 38. <laughs> um, I know she's going crazy. Yeah. So she, she's a wonderful kid. And I'd, I'd actually rather be around her than any single one of my friends. Like she's, <laughs> she's such a good kid that like, she's going to make a wonderful human. Mm-hmm. Like my best friend. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's I like to hear you say that because that's how the way I look at my children too is I just want them to be good humans. And yeah. do I do everything right? No, I fuck up parenting all the time. My, me and my wife both do, but you got to try to do the best you can. Yeah. And having a child with special yeah. needs makes it you know one step a little harder. Yeah. Which which yeah. I have a child on the autism spectrum as well, and it's it's a whole nother ball game, but yeah. And it's good. Like you, like it is. we talked about like two weeks ago, it was, you know, are we going to force social issues and constructs down our child's throats to make them a good person or to make them a good person? And they'll think for their own in a proper way mm-hmm. when they're older, Correct. you know, we, for some reason are doing it backwards. America's pushing it backwards. And I don't know why, where that's coming from, but, um, the internet, the internet social media yeah, it's been- well the internet and i think it's a lack of boundaries like i think we as parents don't understand like kids have boundaries too like mm-hmm. it's we're not the be all end all yeah and we can't i think it's very irresponsible for us to push any negative shit that we have on our children i think it's irresponsible um and like it's not just whatever we say goes like they have boundaries too and with my daughter like she, she can get so wrapped up in her head. Like we were talking before, you know, mm-hmm. we really started the podcast. She was insanely afraid of COVID. Like the word just scared her to death. So I think it is just divine intervention or whatever you want to call it that she was here when I caught it. So she could be with me to, to see that for one, I'm extremely healthy. Like I'm just now getting my sense of taste back today, which I, can taste my black rifle coffee. I'm so excited. Yeah. 
But for her to see, like, I'm not dying. I'm not turning into, like, a ninja turtle. Um, and so for her to, like, this is this is the real world. And if if I'm not, I am protecting her by showing her it's okay to not be afraid of something like mm. this. So I think parents need to understand that even though there are children, and we always say, like, you know, we are the they're going to be who we say we are go fuck yourself (laughs) we need to teach them to rationalize we need to teach them to make observations and you know to decide for themselves what they think is important they have boundaries too and if you overstep that enough times they're not going to survive as productive humans in this world Mm -hmm. that was a fucking tangent but like just to say like your child is not your, like, that's not, they're not a slave to you. Like you can't just push your stuff on them, encourage them to think on their own, be free thinkers, think outside the box. You know, it, this, this fear thing just drives me absolutely up the wall. And I, you know, so I think it's good for her to, she's not afraid of it anymore. She's like, in fact, I have to tell her like, don't get too close to my face. Cause when we watch TV, like we're going to snuggle, like mm-hmm. she's, She's my girl, but I have to tell her, like, don't get too close to my face. Whereas before, like I told her I had COVID, she like didn't even want to be near me, Mm -hmm. which I understand. So I'm sorry. I, that I went on a tangent with that. (laughs) No, you're good. You're good. Yeah, absolutely. But no, no, it's, it's, it is good. And you're right. Like kids do have their own boundaries and parents need to understand that as well. Um, And having, a child on the spectrum, like I said, it's a whole different thing. Like, like, cause that's a very common thing with people on the spectrum. They obsess over certain things more, yeah. more than the average person does. And that's like a, a maze you have to go through as a parent with a kid who's on the spectrum. You have to figure out how to help them navigate through that. And there's no playbook to it. Cause every person on the spectrum is different than the next too. So it's, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's high functioning and all that, which my son's high functioning, but he's not the same as your daughter who's high functioning. They, they have their right. own, own quirks and their own things. And it's, it's like this maze you have to navigate with them, but yeah. And it's, and it's not that it's nothing I think to be for anyone who may be listening that has in the same situation, it's nothing to ever be ashamed about. Like if you just ran a spectrum on all humans, we're all going to be somewhere on a spectrum that someone would call autistic or, um, you know what I mean? Like we're all on some sort of spectrum just because that's biology in general. Everything yeah. fits a certain way because of something smaller that builds up to something else. Right. And so we're all going to fit on there. So yeah, nobody can be so narcissistic be like, Oh, I'm, I'm a genius and I have none of that. Like, yeah, you fucking do. Like, they'll be an asshole. Like we are all on the spectrum at some point. So we all have to pick each other up, you know, if we're, if we're in each other's vicinity, right. Help pick each other up. And cause then it spreads too. You know, you give the energy to somebody and they pass, they want to pass it off to somebody else. And, Absolutely. There's, and, and there's a weird ideology within like, you know, I, I know in the seventies people propagated quantum mechanics with this idea. It doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, but like, fear and happiness and love are all kind of because energy energy is just a wave what's wave energy and as soon as you look at it, it's a particle right that's the way the brain interprets reality so basically everything's illusion whatever but the all those things are energy waves right so we all mm-hmm. kind of collectively feel that like why did everybody feel a collective anxiety around covid well there is a fear out there but it's like you can almost measure it in areas the bigger cities had it more deep impact with that the rural yep. areas where people weren't as afraid, they were okay. Like there almost is some like weird truth to that. Like whatever you feel is really passing on to the person next to you. And then I agree. Propagates, you know, well, like it comes down to what we were saying. Just be a good human, right? Be, be kind to people. And I think that's like the best thing you can do is just fucking be kind. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially to your children, because I mean, if they can't trust you and you're supposed to be the person that they can trust the most, who can they trust? Mm-hmm. Like if you can't be with them, with them for like the little things, they're not going to trust you with the big things. And one of the things I love most about um, people with autism is that, and I, I always talk to, to other parents about this that have autistic children is I, I envy her honestly, because how wonderful would it be to only focus on the thing that like 
makes you on fire for life. Like my daughter's thing is classic rock. Mm-hmm. Like nice. her queen is her favorite band <laughs> and she can tell you like we'll put on the classic rock station and she'll tell you within five seconds of hearing the song the name of the band or the artist and the song mm. and it's like like that's her thing and to be able to like drown out all of the nonsense that she doesn't even care about i envy that mm-hmm. and so that's one thing that i i will always encourage her to do like a couple of mondays ago we went to a queen tribute band Nice. And like, I was just watching her. And these are all songs that like I grew up on because my parents listened to classic rock and we were leaving. And I said, what was your favorite part? And she said, when Bohemian Rhapsody came on, like my eyes started watering. (laughs) And it was because like, you know, it was just her connection. And it was just something that was so meaningful to her. Like, I wish I could drown out everything else and hyper focus on just the stuff that I want to. And like I said, I'm just envious of it. Like who wouldn't want to just be able to focus on that? Mm -hmm. It would make, it would make life a whole lot less stressful. Mm -hmm. We can learn a lot from them. I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up right there. 